What's up, everybody? It's Miles Turner, the Indiana Pacers. You're listening to the Pace Rules Podcast. Be sure to follow at Pace Rules on Twitter. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Pace Rules Podcast, the only Australian NBA podcast with a bias toward the Indiana Pacers. A couple of weeks since we've come to you, so we'll uh, discuss the last couple of weeks of games. We've had a significant injury. We've had a comeback, followed by injury scare, followed by a comeback in Crystal Arte. So we'll talk about that. The Woj pod had Tyrese Halliburton. We've got plenty to get through. And I think, Justin, you were telling me it's 25 days until the trade deadline as we sit here on a Monday evening. So it's going to be a really interesting next three and a half weeks for the Indiana Pacers. And I, I guess the how they play without Halliburton might have a huge bearing on what they end up doing and which direction they end up going, particularly if Halliburton's injury is going to be worse than first thought and he's going to miss more time than they first expected. Yes, it's funny you mention that because I've heard some small little rumblings that apparently the pace has only put out to the media and the press that Halliburton's out two weeks, so people still vote for him to be an all-star hmm. and they actually might think the injury is worse than first let on. So that's going to be... An, Interesting little side note to uh, see how long Halliburton is out. But yeah, trade deadline's less than a month away. So I remember being a Pacer fan and you would be the same, Adam, where you expect the Pacers to make a move and the trade deadline comes and goes and we've made no moves. But this year I do expect the Pacers to make some sort of move, whether they're buyers or sellers. Yep. I'm not too sure, but what, what direction do you think they're going to go? I think it comes down to does Miles Turner sign an extension in the next 23 days? Because if not, then they're effectively going to take the best offer for him in that last 48 hours. They know they can't lose him for nothing. They know that if he doesn't take an extension offer, they can offer him more money than anyone else can in an extension. So ultimately with that, you know, 37 million this year that they can increase renegotiate his salary this year, that's that's more money than anyone could offer him. And then they can make a very reasonable offer the rest of the way, somewhere in the neighbor of, you know, four years, 85, 90 million if they wanted to go that far. Um, so with that in mind, if he does not sign an extension with the number of trade rumors he has been a part of, with the number of um, different articles that have been written about him, the number of times he's either been at a trade deadline or in the off-season and Miles Turner's imminently trading, being traded to a certain team. I mean, I can't, I can't say that I'm surprised that he's not signing an extension because what's the track record of the team that he's been on? They've effectively looked like from the outside looking in, they've been trying to trade him for three or four years. So from that perspective, he's got effectively three more months of the season and then the ability to pick his destination. And there's plenty of destinations out there that would be super enticing for him, chief amongst them, Dallas, because he's a Dallas boy. I mean, Dallas could quite easily get off enough salary to offer him 20, 25 million a year and who wouldn't want to play with Luka Doncic? So you have to consider all that in saying that um, Miles Turner needs to either sign the extension or you have to move him. Now, if he does sign the extension, then that begs the question, you know, what do you do with the rest of this team? I mean, you've seen them lose three in a row now. Halliburton is the linchpin. He does everything for this team. So ultimately they might get a win here or there, but there's no way that they stay above 500 without Tyrese Halliburton. I'm sorry. I mean, as good as everyone else has played, 
when you lose an all-star, one of the best five or six point guards in the entire league in this, this year in Tyrese Halliburton, you can't possibly continue on the same trajectory. He brought everyone together in the locker room. He was everyone's best friend. He was, you know, he, he said to Woj, he loves hard. He, you know, um, makes really strong relationships with everyone on the team, with the coaches, with the staff. And that is the culture that he sets in this organization. And not to be a downer, but that's the culture that Victor Oladipo said about four seasons ago before he got injured and was out for over a year. So, I mean, you've got more control over Halliburton. He hasn't hit his rookie extension yet. You can extend him for five years. You've effectively got him for at least another six seasons in a Pacers uniform. And with that in mind, you also can't afford to have what happened to Victor Oladipo happen to Tyrese Halliburton. You cannot afford to have him get injured, come back too soon and get way more injured, worse than he was before and miss 12 months. And Victor Oladipo is still trying to get over that injury. Yeah, there's a lot to take away from that. I don't know which direction to go in. But, um... Let's start with Turner. Let's start with this start yeah. there. I had a little bit of a, I went on a rant. <laughs> I've got a lot to say this week, but let's start with Turner. What would you do? Uh, I'll be shocked if Turner resigns with the Pacers. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think we've said it. I think if you put yourself in Miles' shoes, you can't be blinded by just playing two good months of Pacers basketball with a new point guard and being like, oh, it's fun here. I'm going to resign the rest of my career here. I think we've always said he wants to test the free agent market, which is understandable. You're going to want to see what teams can offer you a chance to win a championship. Pacers can't offer that yet. So um, whether Miles gets traded or not, that's a different question, but I don't think he will re-sign here. Um, and then I, I personally think the Pacers should be sellers coming into the trade deadline. I know there's other people who think we should be buyers and keep stacking our team up, but, you know, three first-round draft picks, I believe Miles will be gone. We've got a tough schedule coming up, like you mentioned, Adam, without Halliburton for the next few weeks. We've got Milwaukee coming up next, then Memphis again in a few days. Um, I could see this losing streak building, and we're going to be around the 500 mark, which is where we don't want to be. Like, again, we're, we're in that playing bracket right now. Atlanta's on our heels. Um, Chicago's on our heels a bit. Washington's on our heels a bit. You know, I don't want to come 10th and just get bounced in the playing tournament. So I feel like, you know, this rebuild we said we were on, we can't lose sight of that just after playing good for 35, 40 games. I think, you know, we've still got a lot of growth to do and we're building this call up. We've said, Adam, who's going to be on this team in five years? You could only say yeah. two players and that's Halliburton and Matherin. And I mean, you've, you've got the ability to do what they've been doing so far this season in giving Nemhard and Neesmith um, minutes and time to gel with Matherin and Halliburton to see who uh, they can build on over the next few years. And if you look to the teams with cap space this summer, cap's going to be around $120 million. The Lakers are at 92 right now. So they could offer Turner straight up, you know, $25 million just to sign with them in free agency. Um, you've got teams like Charlotte doesn't have a center, heaps of cap space. San Antonio, they're basically paying nobody next season. Uh, they've got about $70 million in cap space. They could throw some of that at Miles Turner if they lose Jakob Pertl and are happy to lose Jakob Pertl as well. Um, Detroit, they've got a couple of centers, but they've got cap space. Houston's got cap space. 
we've obviously got a ton of cap space with guys coming off. So, you know, there, there are plenty of teams that could either uh, have cap space straight out or make more cap space by making a couple of moves, freeing up some salary um, or getting Turner right now because he's available for the right price. If you're willing to part with a first round pick, an unprotected first round pick, I feel like the team would have to entertain that. Um, it would be silly for Kevin Pritchard not to entertain that sort of trade. So um, with, you know, what Rudy Gobert uh, fetched in the offseason. I think it was four first rounders and about two or three pick swaps, which was ridiculous, but I digress. Turner's worth at least one unprotected first round pick. And, you know, if you're the Pacers and you're asking for one protected first round, one unprotected first round pick and another young player, not necessarily an accomplished young player, but a young player to add to their young core to give minutes to, to, you know, see if they have anything to offer like a James Wiseman, like a Jonathan Kaminga, like a Moses Moody. I mean, if you're the the Golden State Warriors, you have to consider that sort of deal if you want to jump up into the top echelon of the Western Conference and give yourself a chance to get go back to back. I mean, that's a, it's a very win-now move for a win-now team. The Lakers, they've got to do something because they're not going to go anywhere and they've got to get off, you know, Russell Westbrook's coming off on salary, so they'll have plenty of space. But for me, I just think that, Miles has so much choice this summer and he wouldn't want to sacrifice any of that choice. Uh, I think he's got the ability to be able to do pretty much whatever he wants. I mean, you've got Dallas could get off Bertans and Tim Hardaway Jr. and offer Miles money. I mean, there are trade partners for guys that have expiring deals. So um, you attach a first round pick or a couple of second round picks and, and teams suddenly make that happen. There's also a sign and trade. So the Pacers have the ability to get something back there, but that's a really remote possibility. So I think for me, the risk of losing a guy like Turner is far too high to keep him on the team if he doesn't sign an extension. You you just can't afford to lose him for nothing. And if you're Turner, as you rightly pointed out, he hasn't had the opportunity to pick his destination yet. He's been in trade rumors for the umpteen years. Um, He'd be silly not to consider his options particularly if one of them is going back home or going to another contending team, of which the Pacers won't be necessarily a contending team, not this season, possibly not next season, possibly not until the season after that, depending on where they pick in the draft and how healthy Halliburton is. Uh, So there's that. I want to talk about Halliburton's injury as well. I'm interested in your view of how that might change the Pacers' trade deadline and their philosophy because up until last week, the Pacers look to be buyers at the trade deadline. They look to be, you know, could you go after a power forward that could really supplement that starting lineup and allow you to compete in the playoff series? Now, if Halliburton's going to miss significant time, they're going to lose at least two thirds of their games. They're going to go from 23 and 21 to, you know, 25 and 30 or 25 and 35, potentially. They're not going to win many games in the next few games. So with that in mind, how does that transform the Pacers' approach? Yeah, it's really interesting. And might I just had the Vegas had the Pacers over under wins at 23 and a half. I wonder if you had the over and then Halliburton got injured. Are you stressing right now at all? <laughs> I don't think it's or, that bad. I think yeah, it's quite that bad. It's not, it was, not the Charlotte Bobcats sort of style. Yeah, they'll still pick up a win for you to yeah, cash that bet by right. the end of the year. But still have to play funny, Houston yet. Yeah, funny side note there. But yeah, um, 
It's it's funny, right, Adam? This season, being a Pacers fan, it's last year I was hoping for losses. We wanted a good draft pick and we got Matherin yep. from it. Probably the first, second time as a Pacers fan in 20-odd years, I was, I was hoping for losses. It was terrible to watch. We all hated it. This season's gone from starting to, you know, we want Wemby, we want Wemby or Scoot Henderson to them. Yep. Wow, it's a playoff push. This team's amazing. Now, are we falling down that mountain again where Halliburton's injured and are we going to be in that mediocrity stage, which I hate being in more than anything? I'd rather, you know, get a good draft pick, use our other two or three draft picks to move up in the draft or something like that. I just don't want to be in that playing tournament or, or 11th stage. At, at where we are currently with this core, I feel like the Halliburton news, you asked me what it does for the paces leading up to the trade deadline. I feel like a bit of reality might set in. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe burst the bubble a bit that this honeymoon period we've been on with everyone playing so well and us upsetting teams. I think Pacers has got the most underdog team, underdog wins out of any team in the league, which is outstanding. But we can't compete with a Milwaukee, a Memphis, a, you know, a Philadelphia, Boston um, without Halliburton. Even with Halliburton, it's hard enough. So I feel like, yeah, reality struck a bit. And I don't think they'll go full sell mode. Like, I don't think... They won't sell Buddy. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if Buddy and Miles will be gone, but one of them I think will be. Um, and just to your previous point as well, when you were talking about Miles being traded to like a contender, I couldn't like we're looking at it from a pace of scope. If I look at it from another team's point of view, I don't know why teams aren't jumping on this. Yeah. If I was a contending team this year, there's no team like Golden State who's gonna win 70 games. There's no runaway team this year. It, the the championships open this year to about five ten teams as if you wouldn't trade the best three point shooter in the league you know outside Steph Curry Buddy Hill as if you wouldn't get him for a first round draft pick or a shot blocking how good would Miles be on the Golden State Warriors like I just don't understand crazy good crazy good I would I would like throw the kitchen sink at one of these guys if I were them I, I don't understand it I mean look you look at Golden State and Lakers are probably the two teams for me that very clearly need a player like Miles. I think for Golden State, it's a matter of you'd have to cobble together a series of rookie contracts, of which they have a really big one in Wiseman in a guy that just hasn't produced at all and probably needs a change of scenery and minutes to be able to see, is this guy an actual NBA player? Is he an NBA rotation player? Is he a backup big? What is he? Um, and then you've got a guy like Moses Moody that, you know, hasn't really shown that the Pacers want everyone on the Pacers uh, Twitter wanted them to draft. But, you know, could you get that sort of young talent in and just throw minutes at them over the rest of the season? Because for me, if you got a Wiseman and a Moody for a Turner and a Duarte, for example, two guys that are more win now and more play the way that the, the Warriors want to play, I mean, you, you'd have to consider the fact that you're better off getting guys that are 19, 20 years old, 21 years old that you can try and bring up with this team and see if you can get talent, which the Pacers have done. They've traded for Sabonis. They've traded for Halliburton, guys that were playing well for their teams on their rookie deals, but they shot to the stratosphere when they were traded to the Pacers because the Pacers gave them a chance and played in such a way that enabled them to maximize their own success. So... For the young guys on Golden State, you have to think that if Steve Kerr has lost faith in those guys, why not get Miles Turner? Surely 
he's going to be your starting five. If you trot out Turner, Green, Wiggins, and one of Poole and Thompson or, and Curry, um, then that's a hell of a five, six man rotation that could take you very close to the championship again this season. Miles can stretch the floor. He can block shots. You know, he plays great help defense. And ultimately, they have enough good man defenders on that team to be able to put Miles out there and let him do what he does best. I, I don't get why you wouldn't trade for Miles. Yeah, it, it's really interesting. And to bring up another point, the, the player who we drafted before Moses Moody is yeah. one of the coldest streaks I've nearly ever until, seen. Until this last game. Yeah, he broke out of his funk, so it's going to be interesting what he does against Milwaukee when this podcast has probably uh, already been up for you all to listen to. But he has struggled. I have zero confidence in his shot. Like, I know he played well um, last game, but I was listening to Setting the Pace, our friends over there, and they were saying, who do you have more confidence in shooting a three, TJ McConnell or Chris Duarte? And I was like, geez, that's what it's come to, though. Like. He's just his shot's broken, and with with Naismith and Nemhart, Matherin, like he's really. I don't see how he's going to succeed as a pacer, Adam. At this stage, I mean, look, I think um, Alex Golden kind of hit it on the head. He, he plays in such a way that the Pacers were going to play last season, but a different way to the way they played this season with this personnel, with this young, you know, brash, fast sort of pace. I mean, Duarte's not really. Um, shown that he can maximize his own output so much in that way, which um, I'm, I don't think I'll ever buy a Pacers jersey again because the last, <laughs> pay, like, I think I think Alex is in the same boat. I've got a Duarte jersey. I've got a Vic jersey. I've got a Sabonis jersey. I've got a Goga jersey. Um, so I, I just, yeah, I, I don't think I'll be in the market for another jersey unless they can bring back the Flo Joes for a throwback. But do you get I, a Tristan I, Thompson jersey? No, I should have. <laughs> I should have got. I should have a Daniel Tice jersey. That's that's where I should have gone for this season. Um, but yeah, I I really love Duarte coming out. He was so impressive in that first summer league. He was so impressive in the last summer league and throughout last season. He had a really important season for the Pacers. He was their lone bright spot apart from Halliburton coming into the team after he was traded to, to Indiana. So it's it's sad to see him not perform up to the standard of last season. And it's um, troubling to see that he hasn't been able to really gel with a team that um, is kind of, you know, testing every single player on the roster to see if they fit in the next generation in the next time that this team contends for a championship. The fact is Duarte is 25 years old now. You know, he's he's getting up there in age. By the time his rookie deal is done, he'll be 27. So you have to consider the fact that is he going to be on the team that contends for a championship in two seasons' time? He's going to be 27. He's going to be wanting an extension. Um, do you cut bait now? Can you cut bait now? Can you get enough back to justify you cutting bait now? What, what um, What's he worth on the market? It's really hard to say. I mean, I, I've actually... I actually appreciate the Toppen rumor just because mm. I feel like for both teams, it fills both a positional need and also gives both players a change of scenery. Um, Duarte plays extremely hard on defense. Um, of course, Coach Thibodeau would love that um, and, and he'd probably get plenty of minutes for a Knicks team that you know tends to um, fall out of favor with young players rather quickly. But you know, if you can get 
guys like Toppen and Reddish for a guy like Duarte um, and maybe a late first, then once again, there's two young guys that are still on their rookie deals that are still able to potentially offer something and make a mini leap up to being really solid rotational players. And because they've performed so far under their draft position so far in their career, you could probably get them for very reasonable extensions. So, you know, this is probably a a game of chess from Kevin Pritchard in that, can you get off a Duarte, bring in a Toppen and get him for, you know, six, $7 million a year over a couple of years to, you know, give yourself a backup power forward for the future that's on a very reasonable salary. The NFL playoff picture is locked in and my go-to place for wildcard round action is DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. To kick off the road to Super Bowl 57, new customers can bet just $5 and get 200 in free bets instantly. Plus, all new and existing customers can get a no-sweat bet each day of the wildcard round this weekend. Just place any NFL bet of your choice, and if it loses, you'll get a free bet back up to $10. Action so good, why bet NFL playoffs anywhere else? Imagine if you'd bet the Jags at halftime. You would have got great odds on that. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code TBPN. New customers can bet $5 on the NFL and get 200 in free bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code TBPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Yeah, I, I think I've always said Topham would be an amazing fit with Halliburton. I feel like the alley-oops they would throw to each, or Halliburton would throw to Topham would be better or on par with Isaiah Jackson. So, I'm really interested to see what Duarte is worth on the open market. Obviously, previous first-round pick from last year, showing glimpses, but nothing special. Um, I always laugh when Rick Carlisle starts talking someone up in his post-game conference. Yeah. I always say, oh, well, he's on the trade market, and he actually yeah. did uh, Duarte uh, last game. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I do. You can tell he's frustrated, right? He, he went off with that minor hand injury, and he punched the chair, in front of the fans and the training staff. So I'm sure he's extremely upset and frustrated with his current play. But, yeah, unfortunately now you can't play him over Matherin and Naismith or Nemhart, really, can you? No, you can't. And, you know, unfortunately he hasn't shown enough um, to justify his position in the rotation right now, which is a little sad, but at the same time, uh, like, you just can't do any more than than give him the chance. Um, I want to talk about Isaiah Jackson. You brought him up there just in passing. And I mean, look, he just turned 21 last week, I think is the important part. He's four years younger than Chris Duarte. So for me, a lot of people are kind of throwing the baby out with the bathwater and saying he's not getting minutes. He's not the backup center we thought that he would be. So therefore get rid of him or, you know, play Jalen Smith at the backup five and be done with it. For me, Isaiah Jackson still shows the most promise of any big man on the roster, more promise than Jalen Smith does. He's, you know, able to put up numbers when given minutes. Now, sure, they're in losses. That's a problem. Um, But I feel like he has the ability to be able to morph into a very solid NBA player. And he's 21. He's only just 21. I mean, he's in what, his third or second season? He's going to be 23 by the time his rookie deal's done. You compare that to Duarte, who's going to be 27. And you think to yourself, you know, Jackson 
will be just rounding into, you know, that big man form when he's 23. He'll be just figuring it out at that point in his career. How many big men figure, figure it out at 19, 20 years old? It sometimes takes them a little while. I would argue that he's already playing way better than uh, Wiseman, who was drafted at two a couple of years ago. So when you consider that Golden State is still giving Wiseman an opportunity um, and when you consider that Jackson's playing better than Wiseman um, and is effectively the same age, then for me, I think it's just, it would be stupid to get off Isaiah Jackson. It would be stupid to not give him the opportunity to play significant minutes down the stretch this season and stay in the rotation next season. I mean, he effectively has rendered Goga Batatze a non-NBA player from here on in, as has Jalen Smith. But, you know, at 21 years old, I just keep looking at his potential and looking at his athleticism and saying, I can't, I can't fathom getting off this guy. I can't fathom trading this guy to another team unless you, you know, a team was willing to pay so over the top that it was an offer you couldn't refuse. I love the guy. I think he's going to be great. Yeah, you bring up some great points. I, I don't think Jackson would be traded while Miles Turner is still up in the air. There's no way we get rid of Turner and Jackson. Um, you'd think Jackson would probably start start if um, Turner gets yep. traded. Look, I'm happy for Isaiah Jackson to be our long-term backup behind uh, Wembenyama next year. I think that would be the uh, perfect, perfect duo <laughs> in an ideal world. Well, we're, but, now. we're going to lose yeah, 40 oh. games in a row. Yes, yes. You never know. We could get lucky lottery night. But, sure. yeah, Jackson's shown promise. The, the, the two most paces I've been impressed with so far is Halliburton and Matherin. And the player I've been least impressed with or most disappointed with has been Jalen Smith. So. Yep. I feel like um, Isaiah Jackson shows potential. Look, he has rough games. Some games he does nothing. He fouls too quickly. He's got a lot, of, lot to improve on. But as you mentioned, Adam, the age, being a big man, he can improve. And I, I don't want to see him gone either. I feel like he's got a good two-man game with Halliburton as well. Um, his shot blocking is excellent. He's a really good shot blocker. But, um, yeah, again, don't want to get on the negative side. But, yeah, Jalen Smith's been the biggest disappointment for me this year. I think we were talking about it off air last last episode that he's become a spot up shooter for me. Um, it's it's all he really does. Yeah, um, I thought he'd be this big man smashing rebounds. From what he showed last year in his like small stint as a starter to what he has shown now, he's really struggled. Um, and I actually feel I shouldn't say this about a millionaire playing basketball, but I actually feel bad <laughs> for him because I can tell it it's affecting him on the court and yeah, yeah, I really want to see him succeed and do well, but yeah, boy, he's struggling. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, not ideal and, you know, not the player that we probably thought we were getting when we signed him, but I think that's, you know, that's why it's more of a prove it deal. Um, And that's probably why, you know, he was happy to, to sign for a lesser amount because he saw that, the Pacers were able to, you know, play him in a role that he could flourish in and, you know, give him plenty of opportunities to succeed, but just just hasn't produced and hasn't been consistent. I mean, whether it, he's probably been better off the bench than he's been starting. Um, yeah. So that is interesting just because 
as you rightly point out, if Miles gets traded, it's probably the move to start Isaiah Jackson and, and bring Jalen Smith off the bench. That's probably the, the center rotation. Well, you mentioned, Adam, about the starting lineup and how poorly it's performed, right? Yeah, yeah. I, it was really interesting. It's, um, it's a tweet about the worst five-man lineups in the NBA and one of the top, I think, 10 or 12 worst five-man lineups in the NBA for... Um, offensive defensive rating was uh, Nemhard, Halliburton, uh, Neesmith, uh, Turner, and Heald, which kind of floored me in a way because you look at that lineup and you think that maybe with the exception of um, Nemhard and maybe with Matherin in his place, that's, that's possibly the strongest lineup the Pacers can field. So the fact that, you know, Halliburton, Nemhard, that sort of backcourt isn't translating. Uh, was really interesting to me, but also kind of not surprising because Nemhard is a point guard at heart. I mean, that's kind of how he was drafted. He's a pass-first player. Halliburton is a pass-first player. Despite his points total, he looks to pass-first. He's averaging 20 and 10 for a reason. You know, if he wasn't a pass-first player, he could average 27 and 7. I mean, that that's effectively the sort of stats he'd be putting up. But he's averaging 20 and 10 because he's a pass-first guy. Nemhard is a pass-first guy. You need um, – you can only really have one of those guys on the floor for me. You, you can't have too many guys that are looking for their teammates because someone has to finish the play. So um, just like, you know, Smith is flourishing more as a backup, I feel like Nemhard is the ultimate backup point guard. He could be the CJ Watson of this team moving forward. He could be, you know, the Tyus Jones of this team moving forward. You could – pay him, you know, um, you know, 50, 60% of what a starting point guard makes. And he's one of the best two or three backup point guards in the entire league in a couple of years. And that's the way that I think the Pacers should be thinking. What do you think? Yeah, I, I agree. And this might be an unpopular opinion with the Pacers folklore, but I actually think it's time to start Ben Matherin. Um, yeah. I actually don't understand why he gets so little minutes. Like, I was just looking at the box score then against Memphis, and TJ McConnell got the same amount of minutes as Matherin. Um, Matherin obviously got the start that game, but there's there's no way that, you know, Duarte should be getting six more minutes, although he played well. Um, and we're talking about Matherin getting the same amount of minutes as Nemhart, less than Naismith, less than Isaiah Jackson. When, when Matherin's out on the floor, he controls the whole offense. He's the go-to player. I... Uh, you know, you talk about Pacers have one of the worst starting lineups in the league per, like, stats. But we got number one in bench scoring. Obviously, that's due to Matherin, really. And yep, absolutely. He, would, he would generally play the fourth quarter when it's winning time. And I can't count how many games he's won off his own finger. So I actually think it's time to start in whether Buddy Hill stays or goes after the trade deadline. But he's proven, like... Um, He's proven he can play well as a starter against the good players in the league. Like against Atlanta on his first start in months or weeks and weeks, he he dominated that game. He was our top scorer with uh, 26. That's right. And he played nearly 40 minutes in that game. Yeah. So, you know, the question for me is how's his conditioning for a rookie? Because he's never played an 82-game season before. He's been coming off the bench so far. So... Is it a case of the Pacers just being really super cautious in his load? Because, you know, 40 minutes one night, 26 minutes the next. The 40-minute um, game was a game that was winnable 
it's fair to say, you know, they, um, they were able to, uh, carry a lead into the uh, third quarter break, uh, and then surrender it down the stretch. Whereas the Memphis game, you know, outscored by eight points in the first quarter and then another eight in the second quarter, the 16 point margin, maybe that's a case of Rick making the call at halftime that, hey, this game's probably not going to be a good one for us. It's going to get away from us. So I'll give the kid a rest down the stretch and not give him a chance to come back. Because I feel like the other thing about Matherin is that he is such a competitor that he would probably you know, die trying to win this game. Yeah. That that Memphis game didn't make sense to me. Like, it, w- it was a close game in the second quarter. Matherin came yeah. on for, like, two minutes in the second. And then he got benched for the last, like, five or six minutes of the second quarter. I, yeah. I don't know what happened there. I, Weird rotations. Yeah, like, I got Carlos back. I think he's obviously been one of the better coaches this year in the entire league. But, yeah, I just didn't understand what he was doing against Memphis, obviously. He's a smarter man than I am, and he knows what's going on. But, yeah, that that just made no sense to me. And I hate to push the Matherin agenda. Obviously, for our listeners, everyone knows I really like him. I think he's going to be one of our best, if not best, player in a year or so. But um, I just think it's time to unleash him. Like, he's ready to take over. Definitely with Halliburton out. Like, what are we waiting for? Our best player's out. Let's let's give this kid the keys to the city or the team and see yeah. what he can do. What's, what's the worst that can happen? I totally agree. I think... He's born to be a top-level scorer. He's already shown the confidence and the willingness to take the tough shot and to make the tough shot and to, you know, try and find a rhythm through the game. I mean, the difference is he's had a guy setting him up. So just like it's important to give him the opportunity to be able to find his flow in the game and to be able to lead the second unit... It's just as important to give him significant reps with the first first unit and give him the ability to be able to, you know, either win or lose games off his own um, back. Because I feel like that's such an important skill in today's NBA and this kid wants it. That's the thing. He's so competitive. He's so aggressive offensively. And he wants to score 30 a night. You can see it. You can see his confidence. He thinks he's the best player in the league. And, you know, he might end up being one of the most talented offensive players in this league in just a few years' time if he keeps on the trajectory of which he started. So I completely agree. I think, you know, you've got obviously a tough schedule coming up, but at the same time, who cares? Give the kid reps. Give him the ability to be able to you know, live or die with his shot, give the team the ability to see what they've got in this kid. And, you know, if you lose games, you're not winning the championship anyway. Who cares? Like, he's going to learn from those experiences. You look at the upcoming schedule. We've got Milwaukee. They are one of the best teams in the league. It's going to be tough, but give Matherin the ability to try and take down one of the best teams in the league and let him learn from the mistakes that he makes in that game, which he inevitably will because he's young. You know, we've got OKC after that. OKC have been a really, really good young team. And, you know, there's the ability for him to be able to once again, take it to a bunch of guys that are at his level, like Giddy and like Gilgis Alexander, who is a level above. Um, then you've got Denver and Phoenix, another two really, really good teams, games the team's not expected to win 
So who cares? Give the kid 20 shots in both of those games. Give him the ability to, you know, make something happen because what's the worst that could happen? Honestly, like the worst thing could happen is an injury and you don't want that, which is why you manage his time and you manage his minutes. But the best that could happen is that he wins the game. He won, he beats one of these teams by himself, you know, with, with a little help, but by himself. Yeah, I, I can't see us beating Nuggets, you know, the Suns. Then later in the week, we've got Bucks and Grizzlies again. I can't see us beating any of those teams if Mastron doesn't score 30. No, absolutely not. I mean, I, I I can't see a world in which we're even competitive against those top teams unless Matherin, you know, takes 20 shots and makes 14 of them. Like, that's really the only puncher's chance we've got. And if this team is hell-bent on making a playing game and hell-bent on getting a 10th seed... The best way he can do that is by giving the kid the ball and seeing what he can do because there's something special about him. I think we can all see it. There's something special about his ability to make plays, make tough shots, keep going through adversity and, you know, believe in himself and give him the opportunity to be able to show everyone why they should believe in him too. Yeah. Well, I just wish he wasn't double zero and I'd copy his jersey. <laughs> You're just not a real fan of the double zero, are you? I hate it. If you wore that around Australia, right, people would think you've just got a custom jersey and your last name's Matherin. I think the um, the exception to that is uh, in a couple of years when he makes an all-star team because yes. then they'll know. Then they'll know. So if you, the question, But I'm not buying you, one because then he'll get injured or traded. <laughs> I was going to say, if you had one pick to get a pace of jersey, who are you picking right now? Uh, I'm picking Halliburton. He's uh, he's he's my guy, and uh, I'm glad that my All Star prediction at the start of the season is coming good. Albeit he probably won't play in the actual game, which is a little sad. But um, I'm very very glad that he's reached that level because you know you need two guys at that level, and ultimately you need three guys at that level. So you know, you look at Golden State, they've got four guys that have made all-star teams at different points uh, in their starting lineup. So ideally, you need Halliburton to be an all-star, you need Matherin to be an all-star, and you need at least one more guy to end up making an all-star team. So uh, whoever that is, hopefully uh, the Pacers draft that person uh, in July of this year because if they do struggle without Halliburton, they're in the lottery. And if they're in the lottery, who knows? Who knows? They could get a top 10 pick. They could get a top five pick. They could get a top three pick. Um, you never know what's coming. Um, so we've got a few games this week. Obviously, Milwaukee, uh, OKC, Denver, Phoenix coming in the next seven days. I can see us potentially stealing one of those games. But if I'm honest, I probably can't see us uh, realistically walking away with one win because all four teams are playing better than the Pacers are without Halliburton. Yep, I would agree with that. I think it's going to be a rough week. Unfortunately, they've already lost three in a row, so definitely can't see them beating Milwaukee. We always struggle at Milwaukee anyway, even when we're like... Even though it's just down the road. Yeah, I can't ever remember us winning in Milwaukee. Like It just feels like every time they play there, they lose by 20-plus. Um, I'm sure someone will bring up stats to prove me wrong, but I swear that's just the way it goes. At Thunder will be tough. Thunder are balling lately. Our Aussie yeah. Josh Giddy is absolutely dominating. Um, 
And yeah, then at Nuggets is always tough with the altitude. So unfortunately, oh, I don't want to say Adam, but it might be another 0 3 and a six game losing streak. I think it'll be a seven game losing streak because then we're at Phoenix. Um, I think we've got a really good chance against Chicago and Orlando, and we'll talk about those games more in a week's time. Um, but uh, at this stage, a seven game losing streak is probably about right given how this team is playing unless Matherin can get the ball and catch fire which is very very possible and as as we've said this kid can just about beat any team on his own so uh rick please give the kid the rock and let him let him cook please just to finish on that as well adam if if we are right in our predictions that would put the paces at 23 wins and 24 losses uh 25 losses sorry and it's like well Coming into the trade deadline, are we really going to buy and try and build this no. team up? Is that no? You're under 500. Get out of there. Let's move towards next season. But hey, you never know. This team's proved me wrong plenty of times. You you look at the rest of January schedule leading up to Feb, and I know the trade deadlines in I think the second week of February. But um, you know you've got potentially four losses in a row. You might steal one against Chicago or Orlando. You probably should beat Orlando, but you might lose Chicago. Then you've got Milwaukee and Memphis to round out the month. So you look at that, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven losses and a win. You're looking at 24 and 28 at the end of the month, realistically. There is no point in trying to chase something that's not there. Um, and there's no point trying to chase uh, a playoff spot only to lose you know, a play-in game or only to lose um, a first-round series in four games. Uh, so, yeah, we've, we've been pretty consistent on this throughout the years. And, you know, whilst I'm really sad Halliburton got injured, I hope he stays out for a significant amount of time to get absolutely 100% healthy with no um, possibility of being re-injured. Um, and you rightly say, Justin, I think this might be the wake-up call that this team needs to understand where it's actually at. That's been the Paceroos. We will see you again next week. Thanks so much for listening.